This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 362 of the FCPA Compliance Report. The FCPA Compliance Report is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. In this episode, I visit with Keith Reed, an advisor with Conversant, and Angus Robertson, Senior Vice President for Marketing at Conversant. We take a look at some of the top trends that these two gents saw in the marketplace in 2017. These trends include data privacy, whistleblowing in social media, global legislation around anti-corruption and anti-bribery, big data and analytics, the continued delineation of compliance versus ethics, and employee engagement and behavioral economics in compliance programs. It's a fascinating exploration of what has occurred over the past year and what the marketplace is communicating to service and product providers that they need going forward. I'm pleased to announce this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report is sponsored by Conversant. The FCPA Compliance Report is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and back again for another episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. Today, I have with me Keith Reed. Keith is an advisor to Conversant and also Angus Robertson. He's the Senior Vice President for market Marketing rather at Conversant. And we're going to have a conversation that, frankly, I've wanted to have for some time. And it is three trends that these gents have seen over the past year, really sitting from the vendor perspective in the market. Lots of uh, People come on my podcast and talk about legal trends, compliance trends, but I rarely have the opportunity to speak with two top-notch folks from the vendor side of the equation. And I think it's important for the compliance practitioner to understand the these folks have a, uh, a broad remit, so they see trends in a different light than someone who perhaps is doing the day-to-day uh, work of compliance that a compliance practitioner would do. So, gentlemen, with that introduction, uh, welcome, and thank you so much for taking the uh, time out of your very busy holiday schedule to visit with me. Absolutely, Tom. Pleasure to be here. So um, I guess uh, I might start off with uh, just throwing out a couple of topics and seeing uh, really where you guys uh, see these. Uh, And I'm going to have to guess that one of the biggest topics is around data, data privacy, data analytics, and data, um, all forms of of data, its uses, and its protections. Certainly from where I sit, a lot of people are talking about that. From from where you guys sit, what do you see? It's interesting. Um, I mean, if you hit the nail on the head, I mean, data privacy has really taken off. Um, that's what I've certainly seen over the last year. It's interesting. Uh, Patrick Quinlan, our CEO, was in France talking to some customers and so on. And he said that every every second sentence involved data privacy. So that gives you a, a measure of how data privacy is, is developed. I think some of this is born out of 
the forthcoming GDPR, the General Data Protection Regulation, which becomes law in, in May, uh, right across Europe and so on. But I think there's lots in the press about loss of data and so on, and a whole host of drivers that have really moved data privacy you know, up front and centre. That's, that's my take in a nutshell. Yeah, I completely agree agree with uh, Keith. And just to provide a, another perspective, one of the other key trends we've seen around data this year uh, from a technology perspective is around how to manage and run an effective ethics and compliance program. And at the end of the day, it's a combination of people, process, and technology. So in a lot of conversations we've had with our customers and also just uh, leaders who have uh, effective compliance programs, there's a big focus on being able to understand what data they need, how to collect that data, how to classify that data, and then how they can actually visualize that information and make decisions around that information, and even then drill down to the details that that, that, that data represents. And I think that's reflected in ultimately understanding the organizational behavior of the company, both the good and the bad. And that can be, for example, correlating reporting rates with, you know, your campaign effectiveness or tying in financial ERP information to see fraud patterns or even culture surveys to correlate reporting rates with organizational health uh, relative to function or, or geography. And I think um, even in some of the um, regulations or suggestions from the DOJ, we're seeing uh, more focus on root cause analysis or even conflict of interest. And uh, this helps with the right data in understanding underlying misconduct better. So I was really intrigued by both of your perspectives on that because uh, key to the point you raised on data privacy, GDPR and other data privacy legislation, uh, that certainly impacts uh, any compliance program, really any company that does business uh, across the globe. And many uh, compliance practitioners are struggling with what do they have to uh, tie down privacy-wise and what can they even use? But to Angus, your point, uh, it also uh, also speaks to a different concern from the compliance practitioner, which is, one, how do I get access to my own data within my company? And, and two, the, the question you left me hanging with, what does it all mean? And I've heard that question multiple times is that lawyer-trained Compliance practitioners many times have struggle with the quantitative aspect of compliance and understanding what that data might mean uh, literally for the their day-to-day operation. So I was really intrigued that you guys came came at data from different angles, but things that I hear a lot of compliance practitioners uh, might be struggling with. Keith, if I could uh, maybe ask you, what do what's really the next thing that you see or have heard about or just a trend you've picked up? I think in, in terms of that, um, I think just briefly touching back on data and so on, I think as, as Angus has said, everything about data is, is central to what we do. And uh, there's increasing trends about drawing disparate data sources together. And I think that's one key trend that I've certainly seen. And I can speak firsthand that as a compliance professional, bringing disparate sources of data opens up, is a real eye-opener. You don't realise what you're, what you don't see, almost. So, just, just a, just in passing, just a thought about disparate data sources. So, uh, anything you guys have seen along uh, whistleblower social media? Does that tie really into the the data privacy that Keith mentioned, or does it go uh, off in a different direction? Uh, 
I think that um, what we're seeing is that whistleblowing has always clearly been very important to a, a lot of organisations, and more and more organisations are, are realising the, the importance and benefits and so on of whistleblowing. But things don't stand still, obviously. And what we're seeing is that because there are so many channels now for people, such as social media and so on, um, if they don't want to speak up through a hotline or to the management and so on, they can speak out. And they can get that message out there online and so on to criticise a company that doesn't treat them properly or doesn't resolve their issues and so on. And moreover, particularly in the US, they can go to an external SEC hotline and so on and raise the issue there and potentially get a reward. So all of those things about the integration or the, the coming together rather of whistleblowing and social media and so on, are, I can't stress too much, are really an issue of the moment. So the, um, the use of social media is also something I see many compliance practitioners struggling with, uh, how to incorporate social media really behind their own firewall uh, to use with their, uh, their own employees to further communications and ongoing discussions about compliance. So I'm going to be very intrigued to see, uh, see where that might be going for us. Keith, have you... Uh, I have to say, it sounds like you're not from the United States, so I'm going to assume you're not. Uh, at least you're from a, a part of East Texas that I'm not aware of. But uh, from from that perspective, uh, do you see anything about really global legislation around uh, anti-corruption, broader compliance trends, or something that, that really the U.S. practitioner needs to consider simply beyond U.S. laws? Again, I think it's a really good point. If you look at all the latest legislation, let's say around bribery and corruption and, and so on, um, they're all using similar techniques and approaches. And I think immediately about the French legislation, Sapander, um, also a new piece of legislation on the, on the books, which is the UK's Criminal Finances Act, and also the Brazilian Clean Companies Act. All of those have, have similar traits and so on. So, for example, they refer to things to things like associated persons. They refer to adequate procedures and so on. And what this is government's doing, for example, is saying, we don't care what you do, but what you have to decide is what the risks are, and then you decide how you manage those and address those and so on. And what we're focusing on a lot with our, our customers and so on is how they can minimize their costs and so on and overhead in terms of addressing all of these pieces of legislation from around the world, but using common tools and techniques. And what that means is by using commonality, it makes it easier to implement, faster to implement and so on. And also, I, the, the message clearly gets home much quicker and easier to employees. And then, Angus, uh, from your perspective, actually, I've heard you talk about this quite a bit. So I really more intrigued is what what do you what sense do you get from the market when you do talk about the following uh, topic, which is compliance uh, versus ethics, compliance with ethics, ethics and compliance, the delineation of compliance and ethics. It's a theme that I've heard yourself uh, articulate quite well many times. But what happens when you when you take that theme out into the market? What's the feedback or response you get? Absolutely. And, and I do see this as a, a key trend for 2017 that certainly gained 
momentum in 2017. I also think this relates to the question that you had related to, to data just a bit ago in that what does it mean to run your ethics and compliance program? What, where's my focus? Is it more on compliance? Is it more on ethics? And that's going to be different for every program. But what we're seeing is that consumers and employees are more focused on ethics than ever. And uh, this is especially true in B2C and also industries led by technology or the shared economy. And essentially, governance in society is the implementation of these ethics. So consumer and workforce focus on ethics are ahead of governance. Technology is ahead of governance, as um, Keith just referenced, related to, to social media. So companies can no longer only focus or be dictated by those external regulatory forces. And there's this realization that that checkbox compliance can't be everything. So this is an exciting opportunity, I think, for uh, an ethics and compliance officer to be more strategic. So what does it mean to be your company? And how do you realize those values? And as a result, we're seeing more companies think very carefully about how they put ethics at the center of their business, how they build their values, engage their employees, and then run their programs. So I think that's a pretty exciting shift that, that's happening in, in the uh, industry and, and society today. You know, Angus, I'm really intrigued that by that point, uh, really for several reasons, but primarily as a lawyer coming out of the general counsel's office before I started doing compliance, my job was, was to protect the company. And it was to um, try to uh, engage in essentially def- defensive behavior if a problem arose. Uh, Reputational damage has now become as large a component of damage to a company as as probably even as monetary damage. But you're really not taking it from that perspective. You're not taking it from the defensive perspective. You're actually taking the discussion about ethical behavior as a business differentiator and a way for companies to uh, uh, reach out to their consumers. I mean, you hit it right on the head, B2C, where consumers want to do business, purchase products from, and engage in commerce with companies that have a more well-rounded ethical uh, program. Did I, did I understand that correctly? Exactly. I mean, there's no doubt based on surveys and data that we're seeing that consumers, especially younger generations, um, and also employees, they pay more for companies they believe are ethical and provide ethical products and services. And they, you know, the best talent also, they, they want to work for companies that they believe are ethical so, so that those employees can feel uh, positive about what they're doing. And that's, as a result, shifting how organizations think and how uh, organizations behave. To, to your point, I think that tension still exists that hasn't been solved yet because you've got legal on one side, you've got um, compliance and ethics. And so how do you make sure that your firm is protected and not exposed to liability while at the same time having the opportunity to understand what that root cause was and have a mechanism for addressing it and remedying it? So, and as really a last point, I wanted to raise something that that has been on my mind. And I really wanted to ask you guys if it's something that you have seen uh, in the market being talked about, kind of in an even a Converse an initiative around compliance, but I'm a, I'm a huge fan of um, uh, Richard Thaler, and he won a Nobel Prize this year, uh, behavioral economist, 
uh, built upon uh, work from Adam Tversky uh, and um, can't remember the other gentleman, uh, Danny. Uh, I'll think of his name in a minute, but uh, two uh, Israeli uh, behavioral economists, uh, and I've been thinking a lot about how to bring those concepts of behavioral economics and uh, behavioralism into compliance. Is that something that uh, you've you've at least seen a, a heartbeat on in the marketplace? Yes, there's, there's no question that that's a, one of the key issues. And um, for example, I, I've done a, a lot of work around the whole concept of how you turn compliance push into employee pull uh, in terms of going really to the heart of people's behaviors. Um, every compliance officer in the world, irrespective of sector, irrespective of geography, spends their time pushing. They push out training, they push out reminders, they push out escalations, they push out communications and so on. That leads to compliance fatigue and compliance pushback. What we do is focus on how you can turn that into employee pull. And some of the tools and techniques that, that I've used and so on, we've used, you know, have, have proved to be very successful and so on. So rather than compliance being done to people, compliance and ethics being, inverted commas, done to people, it, it's, it, they're involved because they want to be involved because they see how important it is. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I, and I love the, the example that, that you use, Tom, um, with Thaler, especially around his book, Nudge. And that's a big part of what we're focused on in terms of employee engagement and those nudge programs. And how do we, as in the ethics and compliance community, whether we're vendors or practitioners, provide that just-in-time information that is context-aware relative to business process and communication so that employees can make that right decision at the right time to support their company's values. Because in general, as we all know, com uh, employees generally want to do the right thing. But if you're in between a rock and a hard place, those decisions can be difficult if you don't have that tone at the top or the right context to make that decision. And we're seeing this transition accelerate, um, for example, in training with the use of short engaging videos that are relevant to particular topics or um, onboarding employees relative to conflict of interest, something that Keith can speak a lot about. Uh, one of the use cases that we're working on with Concur, and I think there's an opportunity uh, for ethics and compliance leaders to collaborate with other business functions. So in this example, we're actually using ethics and compliance systems and data with uh, Concur um, from a uh, travel and expense standpoint. So if there's employees that have violated travel policies, as they book their next trip and they begin their, their travel, they can be proactively notified that, hey, this is the, um, the employment policy or the travel and expense policy that you need to follow by a, a SMS or, or a quick email. And uh, that way, they're just a little nudge, a little reminder about what the company expects uh, from a behavior standpoint that reflects the company's values and how, how employees should, should support the overall business. And while this has been a focus for 2017, we see this as just the beginning, and I'm, I'm excited about what we're going to see start to happen in 2018 around this topic. So the, um, the employee engagement really is, um, I think most compliance practitioners would say that's, that's the holy grail is to get even more than ROI is to get employees engaged. And having this sort of behavioral aspect uh, built into, it sounds like what, 
you're really thinking about is not only building it into your program, but using the um, the data and the tools that you already have in place to help uh, develop techniques to, to bring that uh, sort of employee engagement. Would that be a fair statement, Angus? Yeah, definitely. And you've seen this happen in, in other industries, such as um, with technology, such as marketing automation tools for campaigns, or uh, even in the uh, customer success space with uh, Bain and Net Promoter Score or MPS, and really putting uh, the organization in a place to hear the voice of the employee and surface that information relative to the decisions that the C-suite is making, but then also put the organization in a position to react responsibly and constructively to that employee voice and there you start to get that that holy grail. So we're really excited about some of the technologies that can be applied to do that. And we're seeing um, companies, including our, our customers, really start to work more closely with their employees and think about how they can engage their employees, not just from awareness standpoint, but from a responsiveness uh, standpoint as well. So the, uh, the other uh, Israeli economist that I was trying to think of is uh, Daniel Kahneman, but what brought me to this uh, area was the book by Michael Lewis, The Undoing Project, where he talked about those two gentlemen, and he, he did also discuss Thaler, and Thaler's Nobel Prize, I think, uh, really crystallized my thinking that it's it's something that we need to bring into the uh, compliance field. So I'm going to be very intrigued to see uh, what you guys see in terms of uh, what the market trends may be for, for really 2018 and beyond. Um, unfortunately, gentlemen, we're near the end of our time, but I wanted to thank uh, you both. I've been uh, visiting with Keith Reed, an advisor with Conversant, Conversant, and Angus Robertson, the Senior Vice President for Marketing at Conversant. We've been talking about some of the top trends that they have observed uh, over the past uh, 12 months in the market, and I look forward to continuing our conversation in 2018, gentlemen. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. If you have listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate our podcast as it would help in our rankings and also help get the word out about the top compliance and ethics-related podcasts around. You can reach me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thank you again for listening, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another episode of the FCPA Compliance Report. The FCPA Compliance Report is a part of the Compliance Podcast This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.